2: is like the main motivator. It's really what opens the door. Mm -hmm. Because if you send your like CD in or whatever it is, your link or Dropbox, it's just gonna sit there. It's just, it is. So somebody has to champion you and that's the difficult part.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Benny Goodman. And you're listening to 2020, and I'm here with Corey and Siobhan. And this week we have back for, I don't know, is this the sixth time or something? Because he's just incredibly, insanely interesting. One of my favorite guys, if you don't know about him, he's uh, literally, he was there for Hendrix. He was there for Cream. He was there for Led Zeppelin. He was on the road with Megadeth in the trenches with everyone down to Bette Midler. Because he's the coolest dude, and I, I will argue in the music industry,
3: he's like his the, yeah, the Steve For, he's like the Forrest Gump of the music industry. Like his, every every yeah. major every major event in the music industry has Steve Wood behind it,
0: except yeah. smarter. <laughs> <Hey>.
1: <laughs> but anyway, to introduce our guest once again, Steve Wood. We got into a lot of cool talk about yeah, more touring. We a lot about Marty Friedman, one of our Lost Symphony friends. Um, so many different topics we covered He's a manager.
0: Party. He manages stuff. now now he's apparently managing a tour with Marty Friedman. You'll just have to listen, but holy crap, this guy is I just I love just I want to yeah. drink his, yeah. his non, stuff for non-stop, coffee, nonstop breakfast. Nonstop
3: information, cool stories, everything that. like that. Stay tuned, check it out. Part 2 with Steve Wood. 2020 subscribe.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another exciting episode Go. of 2020. Don't Go. forget to like and subscribe at 2020 com. Guest. No, I'm getting there, Ben. Do not interrupt me. You have all episode to do that. We have back for part 2 the amazing Steve Wood with all the incredible stories of Shelter Music Group just running an empire across the globe of all the artists, the, all the amazing people that you want to hear about, that you read about, that you see on TV, that you listen to. He has all of the stories and all the scoop. We're very excited to come back for part two and hear even more about what you have to say about what's going on in the world of Steve Wood. Oh,
2: <laughs> oh. Uh, first Give of me all, shelter! Gotta, thank you for having me on. It, it really means a lot. And, um, you know, I, I... I Need some? I need to talk about a lot of the things that I do because, you know, I need an outlet, and it's wonderful yeah. <laughs> that you want to hear it, you know? We're happy <laughs> so, to be your outlet.
1: It's, it's amazing yeah. to hear all the things that go on behind the scenes in your world, and, yeah, we, we well, sort of uncorked a lot in episode one, and I can't wait to sort of dive further in in this right. episode. Right, at, at the end wow. of
3: episode one, we just started talking about uh, Rick right. Beato. Uh, so, Steve, you want to yeah. talk about how you connected with him?
2: Sure. Well, he, he connected with me. Um, I was just sitting here one day and, and I can't remember if it was a, a phone or an email, but it was him. And he said, look, you don't know me. And I said, actually, I hate to correct you. But <laughs> I <do. laughs> and I, I love your show, you know? And so we got talking about that. And he said, look, I'm in Atlanta. I see these guys in bands. How do you break a band in this day and age? because it's not like it used to be. It used to be if you were good, the record company would sign you and then they would give you tour support, you go out and play and and hopefully it works. Well, now it's not like that. So he was asking me what I should do. If it was me, what would I do? So I told him and um, we just kept in touch as a result of that. So now, I know what you want me to do regarding Les Paul and I would only be too happy.
0: Well, let's fill in everybody listening. So Steve has become like serendipitously intertwined in what we're doing, a Les Paul documentary, which we've, uh, the first episode, so it's called the House of Les Paul. But our guests who are actually having on next, the mayor of Malwa, New Jersey, Mr. Jimmy Waisaki was Les Paul's isn't confidant. it the host that
3: Les built or something like
0: that was he actually know the name somebody. of his own documentary yeah,
1: whatever <laughs> <laughs> he has people for that
0: <laughs> whatever well he actually did build a house for my buddy Jimmy Waisaki the That's mayor it. of Mawa New Jersey and I, uh, so here's the thing he was Les Paul's confidant for twenty eight years so Les Paul obviously yeah. was like a huge musician uh he had secrets like Leonardo da Vinci style. As far as he was an incredible inventor, and he knew all kinds of crazy stuff. As far as sound on sound recording, as far as twe- tweaking microphones, sounds. He was, he was the first guy to speed up his guitar to double speed, and then uh, to change the pitch, and all these crazy firsts were, were Les Paul and Jimmy was the guy he told a lot of these things to because when he met Jimmy, Jimmy was a blue-collar guy. Um, He'll tell us his story next week, so you'll just have to check in uh, with Jimmy the mayor. But all of this stuff happened unless told this guy. He he gave him all this information. So even though he wrote a biography, even though he did all these interviews, there were so many secrets that he kept. He told this guy, and he gave him all of his stuff And by all this stuff, I mean like literally he died in his 90s for years, was slowly giving my buddy Jimmy, the mayor of Malwa, New Jersey, the the place that Les lived for, for decades of his life, his first tape machine, a bunch of his guitars, all of his manuscripts. He even, we can get into it next week, but he even had a whole dumpster at his house and said, Jimmy, get rid of all this stuff. And Jimmy took everything out because it was every piece of information and Jimmy still has this stuff. So when I found this out, I said, I have to make a documentary about this because Les Paul is one of the most interesting people, not just as a musician, but as far a scientist, uh, as an inventor, a pioneer, In like the guy, he changed yeah. the way production was done. Engineering was done. Um, so Steve has been kind enough. To help me with this project. In fact, we've been going back and forth. I just saw him in California. About Joe Perry, who's coming to town. Which, by the way, to add to the serendipity of this, I'll say this to you now, Steve. Two years ago, I was in our friend Ernie Bach's house with our friend Gary Sharon, And you'll know where this is going. Gary Sharon said to me, when I asked him, when are you going to release the new extreme record? Because Corey and I heard it on this show. Nuno played it for us it's incredible yeah,
3: not on the show after the show but after yeah. the
0: show the, uh, the after show party. but yeah, go I mean, watch the Nuno
3: episode anyways it's still good
0: it's amazing but he goes I don't know but what I can tell you is if Aerosmith doesn't make it to Vegas which they didn't right I'm playing with Joe Perry don't tell anyone I didn't tell anybody I then tried to nail your partner Paul down and said get me Joe Perry Benny, he's gonna be moving around, he's gonna be in Vegas, we can't get him here. I go to Ernie's house, and the day that I go, Steven Tyler goes into rehab, and I find out, Gary Sharon's back on deck, and then you call me only a few days later to tell me, Joe Perry's now back with Gary, and they're even going to Brazil and playing with ZZ Top here in Boston. Correct, so if that's rebellion. not the star and, and by the way, Gary Sharon was in the room for episode two. He's in episode two that you mm-hmm. w- it's not released yet, but uh, you'll have a cut of it. Um, he was there. So Paul Gary, your partner was there. Gary Sharon was there. We're talking about Joe Perry and no one could nail him down. And now he's going to be in town because of you. And we just went and met with you in California about other things. And it just worked out because I was back in California. Supporting Carol K. And
2: there's, it's there's crazy. There's oh, there's more. more. Yeah, it just so happens that I'll be talking to my good friend, the Reverend Billy ZZ Top. The twenty well, second
0: I mean, in Boston at the pavilion, they're playing yeah. together. That's and right. Steve I'll be there. tell me and if you, if you could take the video. Tell me if you could see this happening. Joe Perry and Billy Gibbons each coming out with a less Paul, Les Paul, because I know if I know anything about Billy Gibbons, other than he plays very light guitars that are like three pounds. He is one of the greatest yeah. guitar collectors of all time. And he brings yeah. millions of dollars, not as bad as Rick Nielsen, who scares me, but millions of dollars worth of guitars on tour with him. So if you say, hey, why don't you play this seven-figure Les Paul? I'd be like, sure, and throw it into his rack, just like Joe Perry. Because those guys, they play a different guitar every freaking song. So I could see them in Boston representing our friend Les. Their influence, because even though those guys are on the older side, Les was the inventor. He started it. So I could see them on stage playing those guitars. So if you want to know my opinion, I think we should make that Um, happen
2: and manifest it. I'm gonna be in the Boston area for four days while we rehearse uh, at Aerosmith studio. And um, I'm going to then set the scene with Joe. And then that will be a preparation for Billy, how I lay it out to him. But Billy and ZZ Top are managed by the same company I'm part of. So it all, it all lines up, you know? Well, Jimmy, I mean, who's coming
0: on next week on the show, Jimmy the mayor. Yeah. He is incred- incredibly nice. In fact, on episode two, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna ruin mm-hmm. it for you for the people, but you can go watch it. He gives a Django Reinhardt pick that was given backstage in 1945 to Les Paul with his own name on it from Django, the gypsy jazz uh, guitar player. That for people that don't know, died in 1950. There's very, very little he about him.
2: Fingers, he? Only yeah, right?
0: played with a few with, with two yeah. fingers, I believe. Yeah, and two. Be, there's very, very, very few videos of him. He's like a, he's like a Robert Johnson in that there, he's shrouded in mystery. Gave a Django Reinhardt pick to Barry Goudreau at our friend Ernie's house, because he's a psycho. And he's just like, I'll just give it to Barry. Barry will know what to do with it. Uh, if Joe and the Reverend Billy Gibbons, and you already know, Jimmy is going to also be crazy in your presence because his whole thing is he believes that all of Les's stuff is supposed to continue to bring smiles to people's faces. So I can't imagine that if if you don't get these guys in a room that he just won't make it like Oprah. Just saying, because we're going to have cameras running and for me, I'm just going to sit back in total jealousy. Actually, if you watch Barry Goudreau getting this Django Reinhardt pick, you could see me literally turning green. I get so ups- – I get literally upset. My nose starts flaring, and, I'm, and I walk up to him, and I actually say to him, I'm like, tell me it's not like Christmas morning. Uh, but I'm actually angry. I'm getting aggressive with Barry Goudreau of Boston because I was so upset that, that Jimmy would give him a Django Reinhardt pick in front of me because I was so jealous. If that
2: tells you anything. It does. It does. Well, I'm excited about this, guys, because – If the stars align, there's two big ones right there, Billy and Joe. Wouldn't it be wonderful if if I can pull this off? I'm gonna try really hard.
1: Well, it seems like you are the ultimate curator of all things, and not to gloss over everything that we've just talked about. But, but I'm I'm curious. You referenced like when we started the episode you know, you got a call saying, how do you break a band? And if I can change courses here, I think that we kind of skipped over that and you apparently have the answer. So can you talk a little bit about what you said? Um, I think you said Rick Beato called you and it said, how do you break a band? Let's go back to that. Sorry, Ben, I changed the the conversation. No, that's (laughs) fine. I'm just gonna
0: sit here and play Les Paul's prototype guitar that you could see on the neurotic Yeah, yeah, but But don't don't actually play it. Don't mind
2: us. Yeah, don't mind us. We're just chatting. Um, Well, what I told him was you know, it's, things have changed. It's not like it used to be. And I told him that you're going to need social media. You have to have some access to to all the social media, whether it be TikTok, um, YouTube, uh, Facebook. You've definitely got to have that. And you also have to have somebody that knows how to place the music with people that can move the needle. And therefore... You have to know people. You really do. I can't stress how much knowing people is, is like the main motivator. It's really what opens the door. Mm-hmm. Because if you send your like, CD in or whatever it is, your link or Dropbox, it's just going to sit there. It's, it's just, it is. So somebody has to champion you and that's the difficult part. Because if if you send a CD, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get a 19 year old
0: working at the company and they're like, wait, how do I put the CD into my
2: phone? Yeah, Yeah, that's right. You know, or, or my car. But look, so you have to know somebody and then because you know them, they're going to, hear you out. They're going to listen. They're going to give you your day in court. God knows how you do it without that. I mean, mm-hmm. it's really difficult. So it, I told Rick, look, whatever you want, send it to me and tell me what you're trying to achieve, where you see this going. And I would be happy to take it to the a department of whatever company we may be talking about in in many cases it's any AR department you know um so that's how it starts that's exactly how it starts and then you need an agent you're going to have to play i think because people want to see that you can deliver you know if it's a rock band let's say mm-hmm. or if it's a alternative band if it's a band then you're going to have to show you can play. And once you get all that, then you need a manager. And the manager is key because he knows all the doors to open. And then you need a publicist because he can spread the word. And again, you have to know these people. And if you don't know them, you're really going to have a hard time. I I don't know how... how to help you if you, I mean, if you say, look, I've got a band and you don't know anybody, it's like, Hey, how do you get in the music business? I don't know. I get (laughs) asked that question a lot. In my case, it feels like like now being in a successful band
0: is like curing cancer. Cause it sounds to me like you have to, first off, bass players, most of the bass players I know don't even know like, what PR stands for, nevertheless has a PR agent friend, like the amount of friends, it just sounds like there's a (laughs) lot of nepotism. uh, Well, except Ron. This is why star set is set aside because Ron not only knows people, he can fix buses. He understands <laughs> uh, operations and logistics. And that's what it sounds like you need to do now is like, it's it, instead of, it, instead of, instead of having to know how to play eruption by Van Halen as a guitarist, you shouldn't have a, a million TikTok followers. And if you have
2: that, then you can play guitar in the band. Well, yeah, but there's a, there's a thing here. There is a somewhat, of a, um, I think, a troubling aspect to all this, and I don't know if you agree, but I don't believe that today's youth have the attention span to actually listen to music.
1: Oh, absolutely,
2: I agree. It's come down to TikTok, which is like 30 seconds.
1: At most, a lot of them are even faster than that, it's wild. yeah, Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, so if you can't, plead your case in that time, it's kind of tough. I mean, it's like, look, well, I'm older, but when I was young, you went around to people's houses to listen to albums. It was a thing. You listened to music. Uh, now, let's just ask the question, how do people listen to music today? How do they, what, what do you think they do? I'm not I'm, I not it's a
3: lot it's a lot so I, I learned this uh when I was teaching guitar lessons uh mostly you know teaching younger kids and I would ask them yeah. you know first question I would ask them like oh like are there any songs you know what's your favorite song what's your favorite band yeah. like, and they'd go I don't have a favorite band I don't really listen oh. to music right yeah. and I go why are you taking guitar lessons mm-hmm. but that's irrelevant but they would tell me that they would hear music in the background of like a, a streamer, like someone streaming, music, like bed like, music, like, like or like in the on like on a TikTok video, so they would know like clips of songs, but they would never know like who it was or like the name huh. of the song. They was oh, I, I liked the song in the in that YouTube video, but have I no idea what army it is. I joined the army because of it's,
0: Godsmack. Yeah. <laughs> No, I'm serious because people, no, I didn't join the army, but yeah, there's people, yeah. there's a guy I talked yeah. to and he was like, oh, aren't they like the, the army band or it was, maybe it's a Navy, it's they did The did Navy, Navy, thing. Navy yeah, the Navy thing. The thing, but yeah. you know, it's one of those things where it's like, again, you have to live under a rock not to know Godsmack because they're literally
2: the, the soundtrack to the Navy. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it's true. Listening to music is becoming sort of a dying art form. I, I disagree.
0: Mean, I'm going to tell you why, because I think, okay, so just like bell bottoms weren't cool in the 80s, but they came back. Just like metal wasn't cool back. in the 2000s or in the 90s or whatever, it became uncool, but it came back. Just like vinyl. So vinyl vinyl has surpassed CD sales. I think what's going to end up happening is people have such a tort, uh, short attention spans. I've yeah. seen, and 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 I I bet you there's going to be a whole group of children that start unplugging. I think they'll start going back and be like, wait a minute. So people used to listen to these cylindrical things and they would just turn until it was over and then you would turn it over and actually do it. And I think that they're going to go back and start understanding that magic. And I also think that with buying vinyl for the uh, posterity posterity of the whole thing, um, some of them have actually learned what it's like to listen to a side A and a side B. And I I actually. But here's the thing. I Who's buying
3: faith? vinyl? I don't think it's young kids. It's it's no. older people that are going older for people the- people
2: who don't have their LPs anymore. Yeah. Because they got rid like, of them and I want them
3: back. Like, I, just from, and you know, my maybe, Siobhan, because of the, the crowds at Star Set, you have a little bit of an insight. Obviously, Star Set fans fucking love Star Set. So, but, mm. it, so I don't know if it translates to the general love of music, but- In my experience, I I don't see the... uh, Go ahead, Ben.
0: It says consumers in the age bracket 25 to 34 were just as likely as those age 55 and older to buy vinyl records in the United States, with 21% of those in both age groups having purchased at least one record in 2019. Where
1: is this data coming from? Obviously, Google (laughs)
0: lying to me. But even that, 25
3: to 34, like, you know, that's... it's still those are people that still may have like had, their parents may have had a turntable in their house when they were growing up a little bit um, i i don't know if it's like the this thing that's going to okay. reawaken RIA the music
0: industry okay data shows that 18 to 35 year olds accounted for 45% of us vinyl sales so that's 18
1: but I wonder if they're listening because there is the sort of the hip aspect of I'm going to buy a vinyl. I'm going to have a record player and I'm going to have a vinyl collection. Oh, yeah. But I don't know that people are really sitting and having like music. I mean, I remember even in college we would go and have like music listening parties, too. But I was in music school. Even yeah, in I'll, my our generation, it was I'm kind wondering, of waning. I'm, 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 I'm
3: wondering if these 18 year olds just have no idea what a record is. Like, oh, that looks cool. I'm going to put that on my wall. You know, I just get that thing. <laughs> they have oh, no yeah, idea it plays I, the music. I, I would believe it.
1: <laughs> I believe
0: that. I believe that. I think a lot of it has to do with people buying the signed editions of things and they buy it for the card inside signed by Lana Del Rey or, or the weird vinyl. But I think that there's a, I think that with anything, we, we, we give, we don't give credit to the younger kids. And I live with a 17 year old who's way smarter than me and she always knows more than I do. And as much as, you know, she doesn't know bands. She knows songs. I say this all the time. She knows Careless Whisper by George Michael, but doesn't know, you know, faith. Because that's not the one that was on her Spotify yeah. list or what has have you. But I think that, you know, kids are going to go back and they're going to start discovering this stuff. Because, mm. listen, if you listen to Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon from start to finish, it's a mind-fucking-blowing experience. And it's just like taking that first hit of acid or smoking weed for the first time. Some kid's going to happen upon his dad's fucking vinyl of Dark Side of the Mood and go, holy shit, and tell all of his friends. And I firmly believe that, that will there will be a resurgence of that because just like anything where it dies, it won't die completely, and then somebody will be a contrarian and be like, oh, I listened to everything.
2: It's 50th anniversary of that album is coming up right now. Is it still on the charts? I bet it is. Probably. <laughs> 50 years. I mean, it's wow. crazy, right?
1: Yeah. 50 years.
2: I actually um, saw them perform it live in London at the Rainbow Theatre. And um, I was very fortunate living in London in those days, you saw everybody. I mean, just everybody. Led Zeppelin, 10 Years After, Jethro Tull, Pink Floyd, you name it, we saw it. And I'll never forget, in the Rainbow Theatre in London, Pink Floyd had rigged up a Spitfire plane, which is a Second World War British fighter plane, and it was on on pulleys. And during, like, there's a part in Dark Side of the Moon where there's all this explosion going on. And this, this plane flew over the audience into the back of the stage, and there was a massive explosion. We'd never seen anything like that at a rock concert. Incredible. I mean, and in those days, you could play a whole album to an audience that hadn't been released yet, you know? I mean, I don't know if you do that today. But
0: well, it- funny story that you say that because one of my favorite stories that Paul McCartney regurgitates on every single tour, but it never gets old for me, is that like on uh like a Monday, he played uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club for Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. And then at, I was was it was right. Wednesdays when they used to release uh, records. And then like on Wednesday or Thursday, the day afterwards,
2: he was playing it live before they were and yeah. debuting their in, uh, music. Uh, yep. Little more, A little bit of trivia. Number one, that was on Shaftesbury Avenue in the Saville Theater, which was owned by Brian Epstein. Oh. And- all of the Beatles were in attendance for that concert. And they were blown away. They'd been out like two days, like you say. And and he did another thing about Jimi Hendrix. I got to tell you this one. There was a, a singer called Lulu. I don't know if you've ever heard her, but um, she was married to uh, Morris Gibb at one point from the Bee Gees. Right. She um, had a TV show and Jimi Hendrix was the guest and that day cream disbanded. Okay. And, and her show was live and Jimi Hendrix was there to do Hey Joe. Cause that was his single. And he started to play it's live TV and you can find it on YouTube. It's there. And he starts playing this. about like eight bars. And he says, you know, I'm fed up with this shit. This is for cream. And then he went into sunshine of your love. All right. Right there. I, I, like it was crazy. Nobody knew what to do. He overran live TV. There's the BBC. I mean, they're still talking about that. And if you want to check it out, Jimi Hendrix doing cream on the Lulu show. Amazing. Amazing. It's the best cream ever sounded. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. listen, I, 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 I love I love Kareem, but Hendri- Hendrix is one of those guys that he did all the covers, but he did the covers better. So like Bob Dylan wrote the songs. All on the Watchtower. Yeah, all on the Watchtower. But then uh, Hendrix plays it. just Well, but Bob Dylan, actually Bob Dylan's the perfect example of the guy that, that literally none of his music appeals to me. But then he wrote music for everybody else and it was incredible. It's like, blowing in the wind. Wait, Bette Midler, what a Grammy for that? Holy yeah, crap, yeah. that was him. Like, every single song he wrote he's like a hit, but it's just for somebody else.
2: Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man, The Birds, his version's, you know, Bob Dylan's painful to listen to. Hey, know? Mr. Tambourine <laughs> Man. He a little tam- he's got a mouth organ up here. No, uh, The Birds with that 12-string Rickenbacker, wonderful, wonderful, you know? So, but... Um, Actually, I gotta admit, I'm starting to get into Bob Dylan. I'm trying. I'm going back and uh, I don't know about you, but as I get older, I'm rediscovering music again in play- people I'd forgotten about. I'm going back and listening to it. I don't know if I you did that a- when I got a
0: dog. I, 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 I walk my dog and then I go and listen to like, Rainbow Rising it was, was what I was listening to today. Some Cozy Powell and some Dia uh, with some Blackmore. And yeah. uh, the dude, uh, Jimmy Bain from Thin Lizzy. And uh, yeah, amazing. And I'm like, oh, I, I feel like I'm learning things. But the, really, all I'm doing is going back to when I was 20 years old, going through the record bins, except now on my MP3s.
1: But you hear then, different yeah. things, even me, like as I've gone from classical music to more produced music and rock and learning about audio stuff. I mean, I go back and listen to th- stuff and it sounds completely different to me because I'm hearing different yeah. things, you know?
2: I got to ask you something. I've watched you a lot on, on, like on the Lost Symphony videos, right? At what point did you like realize that you had gone beyond just like Playing to the what you play there, which is phenomenal. Well, how did how did that happen? I mean, how did you?
1: <laughs> Probably an accident.
2: <laughs> well, no, but you I mean, you obviously you're brilliant at it. How, oh, I mean, thank you. You, know, you seriously are. I mean, did it just come quite naturally and quickly? That that like,
1: like. I mean, I I always loved classical music, but I I didn't ever like the culture of it, and I think I always gravitated towards. I don't know, wanting to be edgy with stuff, and so I think I just fell huh. sort of accidentally into things that felt comfortable. And I, I'm still. When did you realize
2: <laughs> you were better than Heifetz? I'm but not. No. Improvise. You improvise. No. You improvise. Those solos you've done. I mean, you've walked them out, right? There's, there's no. Yeah. That you play. Well,
1: ben, I mean, Ben and Corey helped me a lot. I mean, they they can attest to it. It's. I had to really grow out of my comfort zone because it is not comfortable for a classical player to go into improvise is, this is, this is a
0: Brilliant thing that you just said, Steve, because one of my favorite achievements in the studio was getting Siobhan to think autonomously for herself because she's so used to yeah. verbatim sure. being an exorcist with their hands. Like you want to hear Chopin? And she makes it sound exactly like it because everything from the pianissimo mark to the, the slurs to all that stuff tells you exactly what it's they regimented. want to play, it's very right? Much so regimented that when you say do something on your own, yeah, she staggered. So I mean, She's yeah. like, you could do this, you could do this, you could do this, you could do this. So to quiet her mind and have her write stuff, like the, the newest Lost Symphony song, which is not out yet, is the greatest collaboration between Siobhan and I because what I did was I wrote all the the themes. I, I wrote it like the the Who's Overture where it's like almost like a whole record of themes. And I wrote pulsing piano stuff and sent it to her. She goes, oh, the song's written. No, I did nothing as far as arrangement. And then I I because I gave her basic basically an outline to color in. She completely rewrote the song, redid everything. She's like, "I just kind of wrote, you know, around your stuff." But what she really did was she was like a horse that ran through the fields of her own mind, but because I basically put a fence off in the distance, she didn't feel uh. like she was going to fall off the planet. Uh. <laughs> Does that's that make sense? Good,
1: that's a pretty yeah, good an
2: analogy. Influence. Yeah. I mean, I, I got another question. I mean, I, I watched your all your videos. How difficult is it and, and Corey, you're in this too. When you do <laughs> yes. those remote videos and you're all in five different rooms, how how, how Oh, how does Corey, that come you should together? answer this. That's more yeah, that's a so, Corey
3: question probably. Um well, first of all, uh, Thank you for those believing aren't those that. are those are not live. So they're they everyone is is kind of doing their own thing. Oh, and then sending it in and then I'm just syncing it up uh, so it's it's you know it's not that difficult it, you know we kind of developed a system for it because we had to do a lot of videos like that um, so once once it's recorded it's more just you know here's your part you know film yourself playing it and then we'll well, stick let me it tell you, all you what is
1: difficult when Marty Friedman sends you something that is not on a, a steady grid with no <laughs> click track and no steady tempo and says program MIDI and yes. then record violin oh. parts from Japan. <laughs> oh, you should tell <laughs> me the story. That is a lot
0: of fun. Because so, so this, this is good bus material for Marty Friedman, so let me set this up, Steve. All right. So when Marty Friedman first agreed to do this song, Requiem, I was in Florida uh, for my birthday, hanging out with Siobhan. And I'm like, oh my God, greatest birthday present ever. We get Marty Friedman. Send Marty the song, it's all wrong. <laughs> it is? Yeah. Let me do something for you. He writes a theme that has nothing to do with the song. (laughs) At all, literally. But he's like, okay. And it's not to a grid because he just plays it naturally because he has such good feel that he can make something that sounds like not in time, in time. Even which though it's I enjoy. Not really, just remotely which is very has, hard. But oh. it's very hard when you're in Japan over here, and then Siobhan and I are in Miami. So me being uninformed, not realizing that he's a Sex Pistols, Ramones, like simple is the way. Not musically trained, listens to Elvis more than he listened to Chopin. I'm like, Siobhan, Marty Friedman's a goddamn scientist. I want you to go really highbrow with this and, and, you know, come up with some Brahms kind of, you know, counter melodies and some Dvorak here. She's like, okay. She writes this incredible, incredibly complex harmony. Now, meanwhile, <laughs> Marty Friedman had sent reference tracks of where he thought it could go. This is where the Cartesian thought, they say, the illusion of free will. <laughs> Where you think you could do whatever you want, but really what Marty wants is exactly the three notes he sends for every single chord. So when he, she sent him what I asked her to do, which is come up the this highbrow Berkeley School of Music. No one's gonna fuck with us. They're gonna think you're a genius. And pretty much he was like, This is literally all wrong. <laughs> and that that was the start, that was the start of maybe about 200 emails between all the side emails between me and Marty some side emails from Siobhan Scott was involved in this but I felt like I was a 17th century philosopher writing to other philosophers about music and that poor Siobhan was in the Iron Maiden slowly asphyxiating
1: (laughs) yeah it was was inception levels of passive aggressive
2: Yeah. The song
3: the song is called Requiem uh by Lost Symphony for those listening. Oh and uh and uh you can check that out. We'll put a link in the description as and well. So
1: so fun fact for you, Steve, if you listen yeah. to the beginning of the, the piece, that's Marty's version that I redid according to his rules, and then the very end is actually my original accompaniment huh? to his guitar theme. So it's an it's, intro. That'll outro. Give you
3: yeah, so, so we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't want to throw away that work because it was beautiful. So yeah. we were like, we're going to cap off the end of it.
0: <laughs> so this is how Marty passively aggressively helped us. He took our song, said it was all wrong, refused to work on it, started at the beginning, hated what Siobhan did. I said, you know what, Siobhan, I love this so much. I'm putting it to the end of the song, which is why the song's 11 fucking minutes long. But in the middle of the song, we had a solo from our late friend Ollie Herbert, who we lost. And I said, listen, we gotta bring this together somehow, Marty. So Marty cut it up and made it all Martified. So it is actually Marty in the middle of the song. But if Why you the do it, we the be- made
1: the beginning work. The beginning was what he wanted. It's amazing so we- it's
0: amazing. But if you listen we to it, it's versions. Marty Marty's concept at the very beginning. But if you listen to it, it's like I, I use Amadeus. If like, you take a theme, it's like if Mozart walked in and took a theme and then completely changed it. That's what Siobhan did. And that's exactly how Siobhan writes with me. I'll send her stuff like Marty, but in, instead of having the illusion of free will, I say literally make it better because I trust you so much that everything you do, I will ride your, ride your coattails because I'm assuming it makes me look smarter. That's the difference.
2: Oh. I don't know about you guys. I think Marty is on a whole nother level as as a musician. I mean agree insane
0: yeah
1: yeah yeah oh of what? course i yeah. mean he is definitely a pioneer and i mean i respect him a lot it was it, it was just an interesting we come from such different ends of the spectrum you know Indeed. that it was it was it was funny to come together and figure out how you that works him in spectrum? the
2: middle. <laughs> well, you know i i i don't know if you know this about martin do you look at his facebook posts
1: i follow oh, him on yes. instagram He's yeah looking... i see what he shares sometimes it, well he the biggest thing in Marty's life
2: is Elvis Presley.
1: Are yes. You aware of that? Yes, I know that reference, but I
2: did on, not on. know that. i was going to
0: say David Ellison, just so you know. David Ellison's mom caught a scarf at one of Elvis's concerts. Really? And and she knew that Marty was in love with Elvis and she had in her will left Elvis's scarf David Ellison's uh grandmother to Marty except for the fact yeah. that apparently they couldn't find it. Um, but oh. she knew even David Elveson's
2: grandmother knew that Marty was obsessed with Elvis. Well, in the post that he, he went and saw the movie and my son, Zach said it was phenomenal. I'm going to see it in a few days. Have you seen it yet guys? No, I've been, I've been
0: hearing the same thing. I want to, I have to see it.
2: I hear it, it's off the chain here. You know, anyway, so Marty saw it. He saw, had an advanced copy. And he wrote like like this much text I saw, yeah, in nice. Facebook about it. And in it, he tells them that he's not a religious guy, but the nearest thing he's ever come to having a religious experience is watching that film about Elvis. And he says he has 1,100 Elvis albums. Basically, every album that he's ever released and every country where that album is being released in.
0: Where do you have room in that apartment in Japan to hold all these 1,100 al- the, albums? Uh, yeah, I know what you're saying.
2: Seriously, 1,100, you should read that thing. He says he uh, actually cried during the film because it affected him so much. And he says there's no point in anyone ever doing anything else about Elvis since that came out. And they're all wasting their time. And um, I gotta tell you, the, the commercials for it look great. I gotta tell you, that kid, Austin Butler, I don't know, have you seen it, Shimon? No, Is no, I incredible? haven't. I've
1: seen the ads for it and oh. I, would, I would
0: love to see well, it. Well, listen, Absolutely. we know, I can tell you right now, it has to be the best movie ever because if there's anything I've learned about Marty Friedman, that if he's not a part of it, he can't even acknowledge its talent or it's like, I, I, what was his quote for Lost Symphony,
1: Cory?
3: Oh. oh it was beautiful it was like uh, th- these guys like are really too like obsessed
1: gu- with guitar Yeah,
3: like they really you know are passionate about guitar or something it was ah oh, man i gotta find it but uh yeah he gave us he gave us an amazing quote about the project that that it, it sounded really like a compliment, but the more you read it, the more, like, like diplomatic... It was a little it, it bit was, of a
1: veiled insult. Yeah, it
3: was, it was,
0: it was like you are good at that, by the yeah,
1: way. Yeah. <laughs> you, 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 you walk away, but,
0: he, but, the, but the point of what I'm saying is, is that if Marty wasn't a part of it, he can't acknowledge how good it is. Right, so, for so that's no, a statement. I agree so, with so you. So for Marty to acknowledge that this movie was good and he had nothing to do with it, he wasn't a consultant, oh. he wasn't... It has to be the best movie ever made because Marty Friedman doesn't acknowledge anything.
1: No, like, and and it's the same with the Lost <laughs> Symphony quote. It was like, oh, well, but that one song that I worked on was pretty okay. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty okay, yeah.
0: And we love no, but Marty. Is- listen, I love Marty Friedman, but man, he's a hard guy. Jeff Loomis, I tell this story, but Jeff Loomis did a song with him. And yeah. what when Marty sent back his version of the song, he took out ninety-five percent of what <laughs> Jeff Loomis did. And when I play when Jeff listened to it, he goes, I knew he'd hate my parts, <laughs> and then like continue to whip himself in the back, even though he's the greatest guitar player on the. P- I he probably thought I tried to sound too much like him. That's literally what he said to me, and I felt so bad for Jeff. I'm like, meanwhile, I suck at guitar. And I'm like, Marty, I'm just gonna do what I want. I'm sorry. And Jeff is still sitting there, like, I hope he likes it. He only used one solo. He was upset. He was literally upset. I'm like, I'm putting it all back in. Don't listen to Marty.
2: I'm gonna no. do whatever I want. No i love the guy I, I have all of his records and i'm a huge fan and now it looks like i'm gonna be i'm gonna be managing him so i'm excited about it
1: but this is a great case study because he is you know a tough case but amazing musician when someone like him calls oh. you up and says you know i i need someone to manage me or i want to start touring again that's like That's a massive operation. Can you talk a little bit about how you approach that strategy-wise with an artist like Marty that's, you know, he's got a niche, he's got a a following, but he's been in another country. Like, how do you approach a project like that?
2: Right. Well, first of all, you have to ask yourself, what is, this is me talking to Marty, what do you hope to to achieve? Because you got to know what the playing field looks like. Money. Well, that, that, um, Money came in in, as in not losing any. Mm -hmm. That that was where that came in. But I wanted to know what his, um, uh, what he wants to achieve, what he wants to gain, what his hopes are for this, because I need to know whether it's realistic, you know? So, and he is, he's down to earth, he's realistic. He realizes his uh, appeal is limited because it's instrumental. Mm -hmm. he did try um some vocals on some of his album doesn't work there's some guy barking all over it. it it didn't didn't work so he realizes there's a niche there for that style of music and so then we came up with the g3 idea of three guitar players and then we realized we can do this then i found an agent that i believe would get in the trenches and i looked for that agent then I acquired the right publicist who I knew could open the doors to get his social media place in the right places, his interviews. And once I got the nucleus of, of how we start, we then went forward and we're now booking this. Yeah. So that's, that's where we are. And yeah. we're moving forward. And he trusts me, thank God, and he's leaving it in my hands. And I'm yes. putting it together.
1: Well, let me ask you this: what What is the answer with instrumental music? Because I do, I agree. It's and that's something that we face with Lost Symphony. That's it's harder because you don't have vocals. People relate to the lyrics. I mean, how huh. do you approach marketing or growing a following with instrumental music? Let's say you.
2: you I mean, you. To, if you really want to break out of that, you've got to get a break, a lucky break. Like maybe it was it's used on a commercial. Maybe it can be. Um, used in some other way because the market isn't automatically going to just explode. Mm -hmm. It it isn't. I mean, the shredding community is is quite small, but it's enough there to make a decent living and make money out of You really can. Steve Vai, you know, there's a guy. Well, you you just
0: mentioned, I I remember my first uh, knowledge of shred music was listening to um, The Extremist by Joe Satriani because it was in a Sony commercial, mm-hmm. wah, uh, uh, uh-huh. uh, 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 and everyone's dancing. It's like before mm-hmm. Apple, it was Sony to uh, to Joe Satriani, and I had never heard him. And in he the was- corner it said Joe Satriani, the extremist, and I remember that's what made yeah. me go that that guy that bald guy must be pretty good. He was Steve
2: Vai's teacher. Did you know that?
0: I did know that, and Larry Lalande from Primus, Kirk Hammett. Uh, a bunch, there's a bunch of guys. Uh, <laughs> the dude from um,
3: Skolnick.
2: Skolnick, yeah, I
1: yeah. so, yeah, studied with him. Yeah. These guys were all on a record
2: label called Shrapnel, I think it was called originally. Mm-hmm. Like, like Jason Becker. Yeah, yeah, and Cacophony, which mm-hmm. is Marty and Jason Becker. And so uh, to get back to your question, you we ha- we realize the, the limited appeal and we're going to play to that limited appeal. And whilst doing this, Hope we get some break somewhere that we can break out somehow. Um, but you 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 gotta start somewhere. So we're starting with the basic building blocks of touring, concerts, agents, publicists, and then video. Maybe you can't do a lyric video because no lyrics. But um, <laughs> uh, and then coming on shows like this, talking about it, doing interviews. Doing as many um, YouTube-style interviews as you can, and publicizing the concerts. That's how we do it, and that's what we're going to do. And Speaking he to all over the world as well. I, I'm going to tell you
0: what I think would be really cool as a fan, and I, and Marty and right. I have gone on back and forth about this because, as you can see, I'm holding a Jason Becker guitar, but it started really? off as a th- this. I have all three of Jason's guitars that went up to sale, and it started off as an email to Marty. Actually, the whole reason the Jason Becker guitars sold is because Marty was working on Lost Symphony and I had told um, Scott, the guy who purchased these guitars, um, about Cacophony when we were working on The World Is Over. I said, if we get Jeff yeah. Lewis together and Marty Friedman, it'll be like a tribute to Jason Becker without Marty knowing. We, we didn't tell Marty it was going to be a tribute. We just did it. And yeah. Scott, when it watched all the things about Jason Becker and said, I have to help that guy. And messaged Marty directly and said, do you think that I could get these guitars? Like, would that be okay? And Marty actually wrote to Jason's family and said, I highly endorse Scott and Benny to be the gatekeepers of these guitars because you know they're, they're real people. So Marty actually endorsed us to Jason's family getting uh, to be the gatekeepers to these guitars. So in doing so, I said, Marty, if you come back to the United States, will you play these guitars? Because he played in cacophony. And if there's anybody that that should play all of Jason Becker's guitars, anyone in the world, it should be Marty Friedman. And Marty also, and I have the email and I will send it to you. Said next time I come to Boston, Benny, I hope you'll come on stage with me. Now I know he said this because he wants to make a fool of me because I'm terrible. (laughs) No, I I said, listen, if you want to play wagon wheel, I'm in. I'm going to send Corey with a wig for me uh, because he's good. But I'm telling you this right now that if he's doing a tour, I have three of Jason's guitars, and if there's three of them playing. We should have Skolnick, who's already played one, mind you. Maybe John Five and Marty play them and we should make a video as a tribute for Jason because what I've said to everybody is, it's one thing to give money to ALS uh, and uh, research and all that and to Jason, which we raised hundreds of thousands of dollars with these guitars for him. But what makes him happy is seeing people live on through his music. So I don't see anything cooler on the planet other than we had Nita Strauss, which you helped me do, um, which by the way, I know Jason's a huge fan of Nita, loves her, so he was beyond excited. We had Nita Strauss, um, the, the hurricane, okay. play with, uh, school's out with Alice Cooper with this guitar. Um, I'd love to see those three guys, when they come to Boston, play Jason's guitars, and I will bring them to the venue myself, oh. and we'll string oh, okay. them however they want. And you tell them, because this will be news everywhere. You know this, I know this, it'll be on blabbermouth, metal injection, revolver, it'll be everywhere because Jason
2: Becker is the saint. The mother Teresa- Our publicist will do this. Oh yes. This is what I'm talking about. And that—that by using a publicist and knows what's going on, that's the sort of story we want, you know? And just so you know, this is the guitar that Eddie Van Halen played. This exact guitar, that Eddie
0: Van Halen, when he came to the house to help Raised money for Jason oh, back then, okay. um, and gave him a Wolfgang guitar um, that we also have in the, our possession. Um, so and he kissed his head. I remember. Yes, it. he kissed his head, but th- he played Mean Street uh, on this on this guitar. So. I would love to see this go into the hands of Marty Friedman on stage and film it. Because I know, knowing Jason just a little bit, not a lot, but enough to know that he would freak out watching John 5 and Jason and and Marty and I know Skolnick playing at the same time on all of his guitars.
2: It It hasn't been done. Guys, it's going to happen. I think I'll let you have the dates as soon as I have them. October, November. All right? Yeah. So I just I, thought that'd be I'm cool. going to see you guys. Um, um, I'm in Boston. I get there on the eighth, so I'm there. I don't. I leave for Brazil on the twelfth. So we need to get together. Why? Nice. Right. Yeah. Not only do we need
0: do we need to get together. Yeah. I was talking to Jim, the director of the Les Paul documentary that we're doing. That we. we obviously we're hopefully going to do the Joe Perry, Billy Gibbons stuff, but we all yeah, need to hang out that. and yeah. have a good hang. Um, Let's do it. Sometime and, and, because Steve, you're in my, you're in our area and you got to come down to the guitar yeah. world down here. Well,
2: Ernie may have a mausoleum, but I got a guitar <laughs> vault. Well, listen, 22nd of July at the Boston Pavilion. So, note that down. You're coming. And the 21st, the 20, the
0: 21st is also Hampton beach casino. Whatever you need. You've got, I'll be in both oh, yeah. If you'll let me. No, of course I will <laughs> do whatever. Corey, you need you you're going to come with me and watch
2: some Open Joe Perry. Invitation. The man
1: that makes it happen. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's do it. Consider
2: it done. Happened. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. As I said, I'm in Boston all that time. So let's get together. Let's do it. I'd love that.
3: And, uh, It'd be so, our honor dude we're obviously we're, we you know we'd be shavon's gonna have to just leave the tour to come hang out for a day Yeah, or two, <laughs>
2: unfortunately i'm not around boston but well, it might not be possible for you shavon but there'll be other occasions but anyway open we'll, we'll facetime you in thank
3: so you, you. Miss yes out. for sure <laughs> but um. uh so as we as we wrap up we got we still got about wow. 10 minutes left in the episode but S- steve obviously you had a lot of things going on right now that, that you know, you've told told us about. Um, anything else that, that you're looking forward to, you know, in the future coming up? Any other projects that we haven't discussed yet?
2: Well, Godsmack, um, we, we're sending them off to South America um, in November. We're, we're trying to coordinate that. Uh, they're doing Europe in October. And then 23 is going to be their year. The You missed
0: something. Done. They're August 27th they're opening up the new venue inside Fenway park. I know because Shannon Correct. called me today to tell me, Betty, we're opening up the new venue
2: at Fenway park, August 27th. So I could tell you that that that's Correct. a thing, isn't it? Yeah. So that, that's happening. Um, they'll be touring everywhere in next year. Um, and, um, my son's band will be out this year. Like a storm. I will be Amazing. speaking to Jim about video. You don't worry. And, um, the Hollywood vampires, you know, start r- ramping up in June of next year. I know it's a year, but it has to be that way because. What's it Aaron- look like, Han? <laughs> I want to. I want to talk about this.
0: So when they ramp up, do they go into, let's say, Alice Cooper's garage and plug into like their PV amps? Like, was it? Show- <laughs> what is
2: ramping up? I'll tell you because uh, okay. I'm putting it together okay what it will take is probably two weeks at sir on sunset here okay we bring in our band and crew and we rehearse it's a pretty big um situation one but the tour is starting in romania which is in Eastern Europe. so we haven't played for a couple of years so we'll play for like two ten days in sir look like fold it all up put it on a a plane and fly it to germany once we get to germany we will go into another facility and quickly rehearse a touring setup and get it all perfect and then go germany into the first show and then we're we're touring but a lot of it's festival so we've got a a festival set up and then we go into england And I've rented an arena for a few days where we're gonna do seven buses and God knows how many trucks. And we're playing 18,000 seat buildings. And then we tour the the whole of the UK. And it's all private jets. As big as it gets in other words. Well, Okay, so let me ask you
0: this. So Tommy Henriksen, who is an incredible guitarist, super nice dude, um, you know, he plays in Alice Cooper's band. He's, yeah. been, he's been promoted to a vampire. Does that mean he gets his own private jet and his own bus now, like, no, or is there still a pecking no. order?
2: It means he's on the, on the album, I mean, on the poster. Look, it, it all happened. Johnny really believed that he needed, um, he was so instrumental in helping the album to get finished that he wanted a piece and he became a principal. And uh, now he's on the posters and he'll have his own bus. If he wants it, good for Tommy. All good the, for all Tommy. The, I got three crew buses and one bus for each principal. That's incredible. That's good, the dream. For, good for Tommy. I'm, I'm <laughs> and, really happy for and him. And the jet too. But a lot of the time, the, the buses just go to the airport to meet the jet and drive to a hotel. <laughs> I know it's kind of. A, I know. I, it's it's another way of touring. But like, I know we're getting close to the end, but. One of the big financial upsides to that band is VIP meet and greet. Absolutely. Oh yeah. People pay to meet those four guys. Is it going to be ten thousand dollars like the Rolling
0: Stones now, where even if you're Metallica, Mick Jagger won't even look at you as he walks by and
2: signs? Fifteen hundred. Fifteen hundred. Stay. Which for that level 1, of star power is reasonable. I mean, that's
0: very reasonable.
2: People, we we cap it at a hundred people a night. Yeah. That's wild. It's a, a wild. big number at the end of a tour. Yeah. Holy shit. Do you say, make, so do oh, you make
0: more off of the VIP meet
2: and greets than you actually make on ticket sales? It's, um... Uh, After no, expenses. It's close. It's close. It's, it's, Listen, it's something we all used to do for free before. You know, the record company, you've got to have a meet and greet with the radio station. Now, it's like, well, it's like merchandising.
1: Right, it is, it is.
2: Well,
0: my brother always says, "Why do for free what you can be paid to do?"
1: And I, I agree like with a that. Goodman. <laughs> I, yeah, totally
0: like a Goodman. Like you know, it's almost like our Jewish parents taught us fiscal responsibilities. Um, but that it's it's true. But do you also think the the in, The other side of this is, do you think it forces bands that didn't before have to do meet and greets to do meet and greets to make more money because they can't make money as much on the other end? So now where they didn't worry about that 10 years ago, now it's an essential part of making the the bottom line happen.
2: Nothing more than that. It's just another way to make money. Before it was just a thing to help the radio stations play you. But now it's just, it's another money idea. That's what it is. And, and and in the vampires, it's a big component. Mm-hmm. It really is.
3: Yeah. Those jets aren't going to pay for themselves. So, makes sense. That's right. That's right. right. <laughs> That's wow. kind of amazing. Uh, this has
1: been fun, guys.
3: It's Steve, it's always a blast. Man. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much. We so, many great stories. To be around, Corey. I mean, absolutely.
3: Like- absolutely. Well, we're, gonna,
2: we're-, we're doing this then.
0: And I was going to say to you, it. I. I, I Listen, I'm gonna put a proposition out there as far as a logistic thing. When we had um, Gary Sharone and, and Barry Goudreau and Pat Badger uh, at the last... Uh the, the episode you're gonna watch tonight yeah. for the Les Paul doc. We did it at Ernie's house because Ernie is like the Kevin oh, yeah. Bacon of this world. So I was thinking that if we did have Jimmy the mayor come down and you can watch this episode cause it, you could yeah, show yeah. it to them. Um, maybe we do it at Ernie's. Cause I know that Ernie, Joe Perry and Billy Gibbons have both stayed there and hang out there. And I suspect they probably are already talking to Ernie well, cause they're all it friends.
2: Depends on their, whatever they're, uh, what they're doing. Cause I don't Just know. Just what... putting it out there to the gods. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. don't ask, don't get. I agree
3: <laughs> right well we can make we can make plans uh, offline and everything yeah, but um, yeah. Steve we, al- we always appreciate you coming on and sharing your stories and everything and uh, you know oh. obviously the stuff you have gone on is super exciting so we'll have to check in again you know down the road and see yeah. how all the stuff comes together
1: we'll be keeping up with your journeys I, I feel honored you. that you are and awesome. thank you and uh,
3: yeah, guys, all if you right, haven't right. already watched Steve's previous episodes, we've had him on, you know, a couple times already. Go back into the archives at 2020-D.com. Yeah. Uh, stay tuned for all the tours and music well,
0: that we've talked about. I, I have to say this, though, before if you haven't listened <laughs> and I yeah. say, I, 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 well, I have to because yes. I, don't, wow. I haven't been interjecting with my tirades at the end. We're holding you up. You must say had, it now. Well, if you haven't listened to Steve, because I understand he's not the dude from Breaking Benjamin. He's not the guy from Godsmack, You know, he's not even Paul Geary. The guy who was an extreme. So I understand if you're just going through people and you're like, whatever, fuck this Steve guy. I don't know who he is. His episodes, and I'm going to go on record as saying this. They're the fucking best. And you want to know why they're the best? Because he tells you why Soundgarden broke up. He has really- no fear, zero fear because Steve, has no fucks left to give because if you don't know anything about him, he he lived in the '60s. Again, nobody that? gave a nobody gave a fuck in London, and he was into fashion. And he he comes from a family. His father's, uh, you know, a great mogul. Don't Mughal. give away
1: the content no, of all the I'm previous telling you episodes, this, so you no understand. Point in <laughs> that- I know exactly. No point in watching, right? But you have but the to answer and, is you have to go watch them. Go down he the, is the reason hole. All these people happen. He is yeah. the person putting them all up on stage at the end of the day, right? So right. Yes. He's, he's not run
2: out yet. We <laughs> <He's> still
0: going. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I and love have, your episodes.
3: Yes, as do I. <laughs> as the Siobhan. As do I hope everyone listening right now, and we look forward to many more on twenty twenty. <laughs> We're done now. See you guys next week. (laughs) Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 34 featuring Satchel of Steel Panther. Check it out.
0: You know, like being in Steel Panther, like we chose, we chose our path years ago and our path was the opposite of political correctness, right? So it's always, it's always been, um... We've also we we've always said fuck you to political correctness, and because of where we're at now, that has has made us I think very a lot stronger, and uh, we're political correctness uh, resistant.